I'm Kate Daniels. Angie Ward with the Washington Traffic Safety Commission is here at a critical time. A major long weekend, big holiday celebrating is coming up. But really, just summer in general is a challenging time on our roadways, as Angie will tell us. We really want this to be a safe and fun time. And really, if we just embrace the very simple, basic aspects of safe driving, that means each of us getting into a driver's seat, we do have the power to make this a great summer, one where we don't see crashes happening. Therefore, lives are not lost. People are not injured. So let's get serious about this and each do our part. And Angie Ward is here to review some of these key elements. Angie Ward, good morning. Thank you so greatly for being with us once again. Oh, thank you. I so appreciate that you're so willing to join us and always bring, you know, the good reminders, the stories, the all the details of why we need to really be so aware of safe driving. And this uh, time of year, we, we so look forward to the summertime, even if it's kind of gray and rainy. It's still a time of partying and festivities. Kids are out of school, getting ready for college, potentially. There's just so much going on. It's exciting. But there's also this downside that's very, very scary and really important for us to look at in terms of getting in the cars and getting on the roadways, right? Yeah, it's true. We kind of take it for granted, don't we, that you know, we're so comfortable in our cars. We yes. have a tendency to hop in and, and feel confident about the fact that we know what we're doing. And it's really, when you think about it, it's one of the most dangerous things all of us do every day with you know, between 30 and 40,000 people a year in the country uh, dying in crashes, and then you times that by three for the amount of injuries. So in and in Washington, we're right around the 500 mark for how many people we lose on our roadways, and then you times that by three for the amount of injuries. So it's really kind of dangerous what we do, and and yet we do feel confident in it. So then the summer, you add the summertime on top of that, and it's funny because you you think that uh, it would be the wintertime or when the weather was bad and yes. we'd have the most crashes. But you're right, it is in the summer when we tend to let our guard down. There are a lot of parties going on and maybe a bit more driving um, without purpose in the case of teenagers where they're, you know, maybe just driving to drive. And we've, we know for sure that that's, that's a dangerous thing. So I sound kind of negative this morning, don't I? Well... Uh, let's say that you're just being honest, direct, practical to bring the facts forward so that we don't have to continue having kind of these doom and gloom kind of conversations. Yeah, it's true. You know, we want people to be able to assess their risk more than anything, uh, especially in the case of parents with teenagers. I think there's a lot of relief that we feel when our child turns 16 and can get their license and we don't have to be driving them to soccer practice or chess club or to their friend's house that they can drive themselves. And yet uh, we know that those brains at 16 years old aren't quite developed to the, to the place where they um, can watch out for themselves in a way that help them to, uh, to, drive in a, to drive in a way that is truly safe. So parents' involvement uh, is really an important part of the equation for 16, 17 and really even up further uh, into the 20s. That, you know, if a parent can be involved, or more than anything, uh, if a parent can display the kind of driving that they want their 
teen to have. That's that's really important. I think sometimes we're surprised when our children do things behind the wheel that seem appalling, yet if they were to, we were to look back on a, a movie of our lives and watch what we did when our children were in the backseat of the car, uh, we might be surprised to see the patterns that they saw over time. So, you know, things like being courteous to other drivers or not always being in a hurry, getting enough time for trips, uh, those kinds of things. If we're not doing those things, then maybe our kids um, aren't going to be as apt to do them. So it's important, no matter what age your kid is, to display the kind of driving that you want to see in your teenager. That is so great. We talk about being great role models. This is one of the key areas that that really stands out. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think we... I think we think about it pretty naturally for things like drinking in front of our children or swearing in front of our children or, you know, being honest uh, with our with our friends and family. You know, I can remember having those moments where I thought, oh, there's 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 two sets of little eyes on me watching me. I don't think I thought about it as much in the car. Uh, that that really they're developing their own habits by watching us. So, yeah, it's it's pretty important. So these summer days when we, and now we're looking ahead very soon, we're going to have that big, big celebration, the 4th of July, and it naturally falls as a long weekend this year. Mm -hmm. This is really one of the critical times during the summer that we need to be aware of and really pay attention to right now. Yes, true. Those holidays, Memorial Day, 4th of July, Labor Day, um, they're, they're part of the reason that those hundred days are more dangerous than, and if you were to take, take a chunk of hundred days around, you know, after Labor Day, you wouldn't see quite as many fatalities. That's not a huge bump, but there is a bump in the summertime, and it's not probably surprising for most folks to hear that when you look at what the contributing causes are or the contributing factors, they are the big three as we call them. It's people driving impaired, either by alcohol or drugs. It's speed, and a lot of times it's it's what we call egregious speed. It's maybe 10 over in a 25 and maybe 15 to 20 over in a 60-mile-an-hour zone. But speed plays a, a very large role. And then uh, people not wearing their seatbelts. Even though 95% of us in Washington wear our seatbelts, there's this odd phenomenon that uh, there's a higher rate of people not using their seatbelts in fatal crashes. And we studied that and found that people that don't wear their seatbelts get in more crashes. So there's just a riskier behavior going on there amongst people that don't wear their seatbelts are more likely to drive impaired and more likely to speed. So if you are more likely to do those things and then aren't wearing your seatbelt on top of it, your risk just skyrockets. So so those three things would be the, the, the three things that we want to remind people of. And then, of course, there's distraction next in too, which I'd love to spend some time talking about. Yes, distraction. And I sometimes think about that distraction as being perhaps impaired, but I guess in the legal sense it's not. But let's talk about that distraction, see where you're going to take us down, uh, which road <laughs> that is, Angie. Sure. So when you compare, there's a lot of talk about distraction, uh, Whenever it, I, I search it on the internet, a lot of people think that it's surpassed impairment um, in its role in fatal crashes. And that 
That isn't true. Uh, again, half of our crashes have something to do with alcohol or drug involvement or both in many, many cases. But distraction is still at about 30% involvement of our fatal crashes. And the interesting thing to me is that that stayed pretty steady. If you were to look back 20 years, it was at 30%. Uh, and I think that we've come to um, um, equate distracted driving to people using their cell phones. But distracted driving is the larger category of all the things that could be distracted, distracting us when we're behind the wheel. And we know what those things are. <laughs> um, uh, putting um, our makeup on, eating a hamburger, changing the radio station, um, even talking to our kids in the rearview mirror or looking back to talk to our kids in the back seat. Um, there's a, animals in the car. There's all kinds of things that fall into that 30%. Cell phones are just the newest and the most, you know, I think one of the most prevalent ways that people are distracted these days, although it's really hard to measure because people don't admit to it when they get in a crash. So it doesn't show up in our stats as, as this alarming thing, and yet we know uh, from surveys that at least uh, one in 10 drivers at any given time are using their cell phone. We're actually taking a, a survey this summer that's going to measure that even further for us. Um, so it's it's definitely the distraction du jour, as you might say, uh, because we, we all look and we see it. And the thing about distracted driving when it comes to cell phone use is that it's we know it's a different kind of distraction. Thank goodness there's smart people smarter than me studying this, and it's very clear that what happens in the brain when you are using your phone, and this is in the case of a phone call or texting or using your phone to browse the Internet, your, your brain goes to a different place when you're using your cell phone. And how you recover from that, even after you set the phone down, it takes 27 seconds according to a AAA study. So if you're sitting at an intersection using your cell phone and you set that phone down and then you look up, it takes about 27 seconds for your mind to re-engage in the task of driving. So I think one of the things is, is that intersections are one of the most dangerous places we all are every day. It's where some of the most severe crashes happen. And so if you have your phone in your hand, you set it down, and then you look up, and you don't do your back-and-forth look for a pedestrian or a bicyclist or one of the more vulnerable users on the road, I mean, it really is a chance for something not so good to happen. And so we're just trying to encourage people to come back to giving all of our attention to driving, which doesn't seem very popular these days. It's, so, it's not popular, yeah. it seems, because it's just, it's so new and it's, we just need to be so involved with everything. We just want to multitask, right? Yeah, there's even been some research done around the addictive qualities of our relationship to our cell phones that there's a Pavlovian response uh, when that thing happens and we our phone is in our bag or on the passenger seat, that in many cases, resisting checking it at that moment is takes willpower that we don't have. So, um, yeah, I think that the combination of us being so comfortable with our driving and wanting to redeem the time, wanting to make our moments count, wanting to stay in contact with people in our lives, 
those things kind of swirl around to make resisting that cell phone interaction very difficult. And so I think we have to know ourselves, and that's pre-evolved. <laughs> you know, to know ourselves well enough to know, okay, I'm not going to be able to resist that. I'm putting it in a glove box, or I'm burying it in my purse, or I'm putting it in the trunk with my other stuff. It's not something that I think a lot of people choose to do, but for those of us that are a little bit more addicted, and I'm lumping myself in there, uh, I think taking that extra step is something that just allow us to give driving the attention that it deserves. I think we've gotten away from a little bit. And in saying that, talking about the cell phones, talking about yourself, for me, it scares me too much. And I really do not want to answer it. I I might be curious, but I don't want to do it. So in looking at some of the survey results, and you said that there are a lot of these surveys being done, Angie, I noted that there is a group of people a certain gender, certain age that seems to be uh, the ones that have the highest incidence of doing this, of, of using the cell phone and using the handheld device. Yeah. Are we talking about young people? Yes. And girls, women in particular. Yeah. It's, it's really the first time that we have seen a traffic safety area where women or females, in this case, outnumber men. And it's it's not an overly significant number when you look at it. I mean, it's a couple percentage points. But because women are usually vastly lower when it comes to impairment and speeding, um, we know that the frequent flyers are 16 to 31-year-old males. And for the first time ever, when it comes to distraction, and it's not cell phone distraction only, it's uh, distraction in general, uh, you, girls and women have a higher incidence in fatal and serious crashes of driving distracted. And, you know, whether that's, th- that's because we think we multitask better or we're, you know, more social, I don't know what the reasons are, but mm-hmm. it is very curious to us that for the first time we found a place where uh, women aren't the winners. <laughs> uh, they're, they're the losers in this case. So I think it's a really good uh, chance here to remind women and girls when we're trying to get things done or stay in touch with with our family or friends that that can always wait till we're out of the car uh, and done with the task of driving. Exactly. So cell phones, a big part. But as you said, Angie, distraction is the bigger umbrella here. And you mentioned earlier on about putting makeup on. I mean, when I have seen that, it's just been utterly bone shattering for me to think, how can you do that? Be looking in the rearview mirror, putting on mascara where you could poke out your eye, really. But I mean, kill someone, kill yourself in the process. Yeah, it's true. It doesn't seem worth it. And that's, I think we've all heard it. We hear each other say, it happened so fast. It came out of nowhere. When any of us is involved in an incident on the road, those seem to be the hallmark phrases that we hear and say to each other. And it doesn't surprise me when I think about what we're doing behind the wheel that maybe, you know, we're not always giving it our best attention. And, you know, we all get lost in thought behind the wheel. But I think we have to kind of challenge ourselves to get back to driving and when you think about, like you say, that putting on your makeup, 
just think how foolish we would feel if, and I'm sure people have had this happen, if you know that you weren't giving your driving the attention that you needed and then something happens, and, and worse yet if something happens where you're the reason that someone else gets hurt. I mean, it's probably one thing to have to slam your brakes in a hurry and that mascara brush is very close to your eyeball and it, you know, it isn't a good situation. But, to, you know, to have your actions, uh, your choice, I mean, really it all comes down to choices, doesn't it? Your choice yes. to take your attention away from driving and then you need all your faculties. You need your attention in that moment when something out of the ordinary happens and you don't have it because you're giving your attention somewhere else. It's just, to me, it's, that's what it comes down to is choices, and none of us are perfect. But I just think there's little things that all of us could do to, to be a little more mindful behind the wheel. And all the more reason, too, to, to know that we have to make this wise choice. We have a lot more cars on the road. We don't have to look very far around this Puget Sound area to know how much higher... Uh, uh, that traffic congestion is. So all the more reason to have to have really 100% attention on what we're doing. That's true. And I suppose maybe when things slow down in traffic, we think, oh, here's my chance to mm. to do a few things while I'm in the car. Um, it's probably just human nature. Uh, with our busy lives, we feel like we want to make the most of, of every minute and that traffic slows down. And yet, there's been some great news lately or some media attention to the zipper effect on things like merging. So when traffic is slowed down to 10 or 15 miles an hour and you're coming up on an exit ramp and you're in the rightmost lane, if you're not given attention, then you're not going to think to let people in. You're not going to be watching for those blinkers when people are, are changing lanes. And then I think we have a tendency to get a little testy with people as they move around lanes in those situations, and really uh, leaving space for people to move freely. That's one thing that fascinates me is just being in that slow traffic, and people want to not let other people in. It's almost like they're cheating if they're, you know, they've used the whole exit ramp and have come down to the very end, and I'm in the right-hand lane. I'm not going to let somebody in because, darn it, they should have gotten in back there, when really that's the way for those entrance ramps are designed to work is to uh, use the whole thing so that, and that every car is letting a car in, that those cars are supposed to line up in that queue and that every single one of us in the right-hand lane are supposed to be letting those people in and then the people in the lane next over are supposed to be leaving a little space so that, so that, that the zipper effect, it can move over easily. And, and if we're not paying attention, then we're not going to be doing those kinds of advanced driving skills as well. And then that has an effect on congestion. So every single one of us has the power in that case to not only drive a little bit safer, but also affect congestion in a positive way. So getting a little off track there on safety, but I think the congestion issue is one that, that interests people a little more sometimes. So I find it curious that we can have an effect on that. Every driver that leaves more space around them, that allows the free movement, especially around entrance ramps on the freeway, is doing their part to relieve congestion. Even one person, it makes a difference. 
because we can think about, again, being a model. If we're being kind, mm-hmm. I like to, it's almost a game with me sometimes when I'm driving to have that happen. I totally believe in the zipper effect. Probably about 10, 20 years ago, I saw it really working just wonderfully in this area. Not so much anymore, Angie. Yeah, I'm not sure what's up with that. Have we gotten, are we not as kind to each other maybe? Are we in a bigger hurry? I'm not sure exactly what's going on there, but it's something that I think good to talk about. Yes. Really good to talk about. And that's why it's really important and wonderful that you're mentioning that because I think all these pieces play together that it requires attention. It requires being aware of what's going on around us. So it's all part of being a good and safe driver. Yeah. There's something about the bubble of metal around us, I think, that make us think that people, that our kindness can diminish or that our patience. Uh, I just think about if you're walking down the street and somebody was coming up, you know, right on your on your on your tail and you know breathing down your neck and trying to get you to drive faster or excuse me walk faster on the sidewalk or on a bike trail or um, I just equate the behaviors with some other things that we do and we wouldn't walk down the street that way we wouldn't ride on someone's bumper proverbial bumper on the sidewalk uh, because we know they'd probably turn around and say, hey, and because that can't happen as easily on the road, maybe we we think that we have more rights or are, are protected by the, uh, the bubble of our car. Not sure exactly what's going on there, but you know, that's one thing that we're talking a lot about in the traffic safety field is not just safety matter, not the safety issues, but the culture. What's the culture on our roadways? And what do we want it to be? So we want to have the best culture in the country, in Washington. We want people to come here, drive on our roads, and say, wow, those people in Washington know how to drive. They're they're polite, and, uh, you know, it's a great place to drive. Yes, and thus, safe for everyone. And it really gets us to where we need to be safely in one piece. That's pretty key. And the fact that we really are are going to, on so many levels, it's cost effective because our insurance rates are going to stay at at a reasonable rate. Mm -hmm. It's just going to be so much more harmonious. Um, All of these pieces play together, and it's for all ages. Uh, But particularly right now, we're seeing with more of the young people on the roads, uh, this is really important to underscore. It is. It is. Um, We know that our young drivers have a little bit more time in the summer and maybe are driving more than they do in the school year. And the days are longer. And we know that, like you mentioned earlier, things like parties and celebrations are going on all summer long. Um, And we just cannot say enough that even though parents might feel the relief of their 16-year-old having a license, their brain is really not developed. And I don't mean that in any other way than uh, just what the science tells us. It isn't a bashing of young people. I have 18- and 21-year-old sons. And uh, it's, it's really important to keep the conversation going about driving and to insert yourself, even though it feels unnatural because you feel like you're 
your kids are growing up, uh, you want to, you want them to have autonomy. You want to have them a chance to make good choices on their own. But in the case of driving, it's the number one way teenagers die. It's the number one way. And I think we lose, we lose sight of that. We're so careful when there are babies, we make sure they're strapped in the right car seat. Uh, we go to extra efforts, maybe even to have, get to seek out some information about that. And yet, when we get their license, I think we hearken back to when we got our license and while well, we lived, we lived through it and uh, we're okay. And many times uh, just a little extra thought and conversation with our younger drivers uh, can make a big difference. Just asking the questions about where they're going, um, not buying them a car immediately when they turn 16 so that they have to ask to use the car, the family car, and it may not be as convenient, but I don't think that we've done a good job of helping parents to know how dangerous this time in a young driver's life is, especially in those summer months when they've got a little bit more freedom. And again, the things that show up for, for young drivers as far as a contributing factor in fatal and serious crashes, they're so, you know, it's the, it's the speed again. There is impairment there, but speeding is a bit more of a factor. And we also know that when it comes to distraction for teenagers, the number one distraction involved in fatal serious crashes are passengers. So that's why our license in Washington has that restriction on uh, the first six months that we restrict the amount of passengers. The research tells us that we'd be better to restrict passengers up to 18 because teenagers drive differently when they have their peers in the car. There's more risk-taking going on. There's more distraction. And then again, takes their attention away from the driving task. So parents being involved in forcing that IDL and saying, hey, this is the first six months of your license. You aren't supposed to have passengers. I don't care what your friends are doing. If other parents are allowing their children to have passengers in the car before that. And that nighttime restriction, we know more crashes happen at night with young people and for all of us. So I think parents are so relieved for their teenagers to have those licenses, but remaining involved. And if you can, establish a contract for those first few years uh, because it is the most dangerous time. And, and this summertime, on top of that, make it worth our while as, you know, against the grain as it might feel to reinsert ourselves into our children's lives when we feel like they're at a stage where they're kind of becoming an adult. It's worth the time to check back in to talk about the importance of safe driving and being specific about what that means, always wearing your seatbelt, paying attention to the driving task and watching your speed and not driving after you've had anything to drink or smoke or that sort of thing. Exactly. All critical pieces of information because, as you had said, Angie, earlier on, these are the 100 deadly days particularly for teens, the most dangerous time to be out on the roadways. And we want them to have a future, to have a, a healthy future. So they may not be killed in a crash, but they certainly might end up having an injury. We don't want that. So we really want to be proclaiming safety on our roadways. And I think you are so key in all of this, Angie, sharing these really important pieces of information. I think maybe mentioning the website for the Washington Traffic Safety Commission might be good because there's a lot of details that both the youth and parents who have an interest in finding out details will appreciate that. Yeah, so it's WTSC. 
www.wa.gov. And then there's also dol.wa.gov for parents and teens. There's great information for parents and teens at both of those websites. Terrific. Angie Ward, you are such an important wealth of information for us, and I just so appreciate your always uh, being willing to take time, underscore these important parts of our lives. Thank you so greatly for your work. Thank you for always wanting to have that conversation, Kate. We really appreciate it.